Hi, thanks for joining us at Christian Life Church Online. We're really glad you have uh, taken time to be part of what we want to share with you today. We have been talking for the past several weeks about uh, Fan the Flame, about, about revival, and uh, we've just been experiencing some, some really good times of worship in church lately and hearing testimonies from different people about a wonderful new passion that they are experiencing for Jesus Christ and, and their relationship, their hunger for the word has really been, um, I guess, growing and expanding and, and uh, uh, just experiencing personal revival. And we're really praying for more and more of that. I'm praying that even as you listen today, that your own heart would be stirred, it would be uh, encouraged and, and revived. And, and so we've been talking about this for the past several weeks, and we really believe uh, that revival comes as a result of people coming before the Lord and praying, asking God to revive them personally, and also just praying Christians across the land and praying churches. We really need to see a move of God. We really do need to see revival in our land. When we pray, it really goes against the grain of everything in our lives. Because I don't know about you, but I, I find that, that life is, is busy and, and it's about going and it's about doing and it's about striving and it's about work and it's about action, you know, kind of get her done sort of a thing. Prayer is just the opposite of that. Prayer is about, about stopping, about waiting, about dwelling in the presence of God. It, it almost seems counterintuitive and counterproductive when you have so much to do and you stop and pray. And yet we see that modeled in Christ's life. When you read about him in the, in the Gospels, he had lots to do. There were always crowds that were clamoring for his time and attention. And there were times that he just intentionally walked away to spend time with the Father in prayer. We really have to come to a place of understanding that that. As followers of Christ, it's not all about us acting and, and doing, but it's about us being in the presence of God. It's about coming to God in prayer and allowing him to act on our behalf, about asking him to act. Prayer affects God. Your work, your activity may affect people around you, you know, the, the ministry that a preacher does, the preaching may affect people, but prayer affects God. Uh, our work may have an effect now. It may make an impact now, but prayer affects eternity. So prayer is really important. God acts in answer to prayer. And I really sincerely believe that revival comes in answer to prayer. When we pray for revival, we have to believe that revival will come and, and let it start in us personally, individually. Revival comes when we passionately 
and personally pursue Jesus, when we seek to be filled with the Spirit and, and by the Spirit's enabling, the Holy Spirit's enabling, we, we live and we worship, and we worship in the Spirit. To be sure, revival is born out of diligent prayer, out of passionately seeking Jesus, about believers seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's where revival is really born. It's born out of a renewed love for Jesus, a new passion for him. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. Just wrap your head around that. To love the Lord your God that intensely with all that we have, our whole being. And, and that's really what it is to be revived, is, is to just love the Lord with everything we have, with every fiber of our being. So I want to talk to you today for a few minutes about a revived life and, and, and what that means. And the first thing I want to maybe share with you is, is that revival comes from persistence or renewed spiritual passion, you might say comes from persistence. Being persistent in our pursuit of Jesus. We may all be familiar with the story of Mary and Martha. And, and it, the story goes that Jesus went to their place. And these were the sisters of Lazarus, who Jesus had uh, risen from the dead, rose from the dead. And these were people that were in a circle of friendships. And so Jesus goes to their place, and the two sisters, Mary and Martha, are there. And, and Martha's doing what you would expect her to be doing. She's busy with preparations, being a good hostess, and probably cooking and working and, you know, rattling around the kitchen. She was entertain entertaining. She had this guest, Jesus, there. And while she's doing that, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha gets kind of ticked about this and comes to Jesus, and it's like, What's going on? Like, what, what's she doing? Like, tell her to get, get to work. This is a, a gym paraphrase. But that's basically it. Like, tell her, tell her to help out here. I'm busy. And Jesus looks at Martha, and he says, Mary has chosen what is better. Mary put everything on hold. And she wasn't concerned about the work. She wasn't concerned about striving. She wasn't concerned about people pleasing. She wasn't particularly concerned about uh, helping out Martha with all of these temporal arrangements. She just chose to be with Jesus and sit at his feet. And I'm sure he was talking and sharing and she's just taking it all in. Just being in the presence of Jesus. And, and Jesus said, this is better. What she's doing is actually better. You see, we're so accustomed to doing and dealing with stuff and working and striving that sometimes we miss out on Jesus. Now here's another thing that, that can happen. Um, in all of our working and striving for the Lord, we can actually lose touch, lose relationship with the Lord. And sometimes all of, even ministry can be a... Um, a a false replacement for relationship. I've seen it happen with, with Christians where they've got a ministry, they've got a job that they're doing in the church, and, and that becomes their identity. 
my identity is, you know, I'm a leader of this or I'm a leader of that. And if you mess around with what they do, if you take that away from them, it's almost like they look, you've taken away their salvation because that's their identity. Our identity needs to be in Christ, not in what we do for him, not in our vocation, not in our work. And so it's very easy for us to fall in the trap of being so accustomed to doing and dealing with things that we lose out in relationship with Jesus. And, and that's what Mary was doing. She wasn't identifying herself by how good she could cook. She was just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him. You see, it's, it's when we couple that with stopping and dwelling and waiting on the Lord, that man, things really begin to unfold spiritually in our lives in a very positive way. Jesus is pleased with and he's persistent and responds to persistence. He, he wants us to wait in his presence and he also wants us to be persistent in our coming to him and in our asking. So this woman comes to Jesus and she has a daughter that's demon-possessed and she heard that Jesus was in the vicinity. So she tracks him down, goes to where the crowd is, and, and she falls at his feet, begging him to drive the demon out of her daughter. And Jesus puts her off. He says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Mark chapter 7, verse 17. You think, man, that, that's a, a real, kind of a real put down, like, wow. But, but the background of the story here is, is Jesus had come into this area and he didn't want people to know he was there. He was there with his disciples. He wanted to invest in them. He wanted to rest with them, to enjoy some food together. They were tired. It had been a, a bit of a busy schedule and they were just there to take a break. He wasn't there to, to be uh, interacting with the crowds because Jesus was God, fully God, but he's also fully human and he needed a rest. And so along comes this woman and she's begging him to perform a miracle. Now when Jesus talks about children in this passage of scripture, he's referring to his disciples. When he's talking about bread, it's not right to, to give you know, the children's bread to, to the dogs. He's, he's not calling her a dog, but but he's referring to his disciples as his children. He's talking about bread, about provision, about eating together, about resting. And when he's talking about dogs, he's, it's like he's referring to, you know, the family pet, the household pet. And, and what he's saying is, you know, you don't give your, your baby the, bre the, the baby's bread or the baby's bottle to, to your cat or to your puppy. You give it to the child. And this is what Jesus was essentially saying. He said, look, my priority right now is my disciples. My priority right now is spending time with them. My priority right now is, is nourishing them. And we're not going to deal with, with other matters that are less important. This is, this is top priority right now. That's pretty legitimate. It, it's no different than, hey, it's my day off, boss. Don't call me on my day off. I'm at home. I'm with my wife. I'm with my spouse. I'm with my children. I'm, I'm out with my friends. Don't call me on my day off. 
This is my day to rest. And so this is essentially what Jesus is doing. He didn't want anybody to know he was there. He needed rest and so did his disciples. That was his first priority. And he understood that if he helped this woman, who knows who else would come along and he'd again be swarmed by crowds and the very intention that they were wanting to, to, to fulfill, resting, would be lost. And so Jesus teaches us this valuable lesson. He said, even the dogs under the table, or the, the woman said, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She wasn't going to take no for an answer. And regardless of how legitimate Christ's desire for a break was, she was not going to give up. She was persistent. She was not going to take no for an answer. Her daughter needed to be delivered. Jesus has compassion on her. In Matthew 15, 28, he says, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And so this daughter, this child was delivered. So what do we take from this? Here's what I take from it. That if I really want God to move in my life, if I really want God to answer prayer, I've got to be persistent. I've got to make it a priority. It's not going to come by work and activity. It comes by kneeling before Jesus and saying, Lord, I'm not going to give up. I am not going to give up. I am not going to I am not going to walk away from this. I am going to be persistent. I want revival. I want renewal. I want a greater sense of your presence in my life. I want you to move in my church. I want you to move in the city I live. I want you to move in our nation. And I'm not going to give up. I'm going to just keep being persistent. And I believe the Lord loves it when his people are persistent. Revival and renewal comes as, as a result of us passionately pursuing it and just not giving up. It's coupled with faith, and belief, and expectancy. Second thing I want to talk about is revival or, or spiritual renewal. Personal spiritual renewal comes with a sense of urgency. If ever there is an urgent need of revival in our nation, it is now. Our world is racing toward hell on virtually every front. Financially, morally, uh, politically, uh, ethically. Uh, you, you don't know who you can believe anymore. Lying has become the language of the day. So much deceit. And the Bible actually says, Woe unto them who call evil good and good evil. And, and we're there. We're there. We're living in a time of woe. We are living in a time when judgment is on the doorstep and it's ringing the doorbell. We see pastors and churches and denominations compromising the truth of God's word and making deals with the doctrines of devils to appease the crowds and, and to not offend people. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit to purge the church. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit to to purge our lives and to burn away the chaff and the stubble and the garbage and the sin in the church first. Because we're not going to touch this world if we're full of compromise. A church that is full of compromise is dead. A church that is full of, of worldliness and, and compromise will have no effect on this world. It will just be like the world. And so what does the world get from it? Nothing. 
just more of the same. It's not the time for us to be to be feeding ourselves with pablum, the pablum of God's word. We need to be really pressing into God, into the truth of God's word, and pressing into God for the spirit of the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, for the fire of the Holy Spirit to purge us, to burn away all the dross and the sin. And it's not the time for us to say soon, you know, soon enough I'll seek the Lord. Someday in the near future I'll get right with God. Uh, soon I'll stop compromising. Soon I'll start to, to really, you know, get into the Word and, and, and stop playing around. That is not the time. We don't have time for that. Judgment is at the doorstep. Jesus said to a guy in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 59, he said, follow me, follow me. Pretty simple call, right? And when he's saying, follow me, he is, it is a call to be devoted to him. It's a call to be committed to him. And it's a call to put everything else aside, to say nothing else matters. This is my first priority. Now, the man agreed with the call. He said, yeah, okay, sure. But he said, first, let me go and bury my father. Now, some commentators suggest that, that the father wasn't even dead yet. He was maybe an elderly man, and uh, he wasn't even dead yet. Another fellow said to the same call, let me go back and, and say goodbye to my family. Now, Jesus had answers for these two guys. To the first one, he said, let the dead bury their own dead. In other words, let those who are in the world and of the world care for the affairs of the world. If you're going to follow me, then you come. You let other people look after those things. You follow me. You make me your first priority. To the guy who said, let me go back and say goodbye to my family, he said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus consistently and unashamedly calls us to a life of surrender, commitment, and undivided devotion. He consistently calls his disciples to put him first and to lay down our own lives for him. Revival comes at the cost of passionately following Jesus and living with a sense of urgency that I need Jesus, I need the fullness of the Spirit. My church needs Jesus. My church needs the fullness of the Spirit. My city needs Jesus. It needs the fullness of the Spirit. And our nation needs Jesus like it's never needed him before. Revival, thirdly, comes with power and with authority. There's a couple of really distinct qualities that we see in, in Jesus' life when he walked this earth. The two of them were power and authority. Jesus was moving through a crowd in Luke chapter 8. The crowd is pressing in on him. And it says in the Bible that, that uh, the crowd almost crushed him. So he's, you can just kind of see it, you know, jostling through the crowd. It's kind of like uh, being at the arena after a, a Jets hockey game and, and you're trying to get out of the arena and, and, and you're being jostled around. And it, it's just hundreds, thousands of people all converging, heading for the exit. And, and so this is what Jesus is going through. He's almost getting crushed by the crowd. And this woman is in the crowd who had been bleeding 
for 12 years. She had gone to doctors. She had spent everything she had. She was weak. She was uh, anemic. She was uh, shunned. She would have been deemed as being unclean. So she was really an outcast in society. And I could just imagine this, this gray-skinned woman because she's so anemic, almost crawling to Jesus, just no strength. And she's thinking, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. She's desperate. And she did it. She touched the hem of Jesus' garment in faith, believing. She, she felt, this is my last hope. And she believed that if she could just touch the hem of his garment, that the bleeding would stop. And instantly, the Bible said she was healed. Now think about this for a second. Jesus is almost being crushed by this throng of people. And he stops. And he says, who touched me? Jesus, what are you talking about? Who touched you? Everybody's touching you. No, no, this is a different touch. This is a different touch. Somebody touched me. It was a touch of faith. It was a touch of expectancy. He said, I know that power has gone out from me. As a result of her touching Jesus in faith, he felt power going out from him, healing power, the power of God, the power of Almighty God. He could feel it flowing out from him into her body and she was healed. I love that story. See, revival comes with the power of God being manifest in the life of the believer. The power to believe, powerful faith, being powerful in our witness, having power to overcome in our lives sin and temptation. Jesus promised us, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Jesus had power. He had the power of God when he walked in the face of this earth and he promised after he would ascend to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven, that he would send the Holy Spirit. And here's his promise, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Jesus also lived a life of authority. He had authority over sickness, over disease, over demons. His teaching was authoritative. People recognized that when he taught, he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Matthew 7, 29. He wasn't just giving facts and information and knowledge. When he spoke, lives were changed and, and it would cut people to the heart. They would be stirred. They would sense the power and the authority of God in the words that he spoke. He said, the Son of Man has authority on earth. And here's the clincher in Matthew 28, 18. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples. In our power, in our authority? No. In the power and the authority of God given to us through the Holy Spirit. There's something that happens to us when we really experience revival. We're changed. We get closer to the Lord, for sure. Our faith increases. Our belief increases. We start to really deal with 
our priorities. Sin becomes easier to overcome because we are experiencing the power and the presence of God in our lives. It loses its attraction to us, and it certainly loses its grip upon us. The church is purified when we begin to experience revival. Why is that? Is it because we've instilled a, a new set of laws and rules to live by? No. It's because we long to be close to God. And we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit because we begin to cherish and long for and yearn for the presence of God in our lives. And we long for the Holy Spirit to be close to us. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't want to offend the Holy Spirit. And when we're that conscious of the presence of God in our lives, there are things we will not say, we will not do, and we will not think, we will not act upon because we know they're grieving to the Holy Spirit. This is revival. These simple truths call us to respond. And may our response be for Jesus to fill us with the Holy Spirit. May our response be to long for and ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to, to work in our lives. May our response be, Lord Jesus, revive me, fill me, cause me to yearn for more of you. Today when I was having my own personal time of prayer and devotion, I, I just took time to to search my own heart and say, Lord, is there, is there anything in my life right now that's more important to me than you? Is there anything in my heart that shouldn't be there? Do I have feelings toward other people, ill feelings toward other people that, that should be replaced with love? Are there attitudes that are wrong? Is there pride? Pride can sneak in so subtly into our lives. It's their pride. And Lord, if there's anything in my life that, that doesn't measure up, that doesn't pass the test, that isn't of you, then take it away. And fill me afresh with your spirit. Let me walk with you. Let me yearn for you. Let my soul thirst and hunger for you and for more of your presence. I hope that you are at a place where you can really join with me in praying a prayer like that. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, let me tell you that now is the time of salvation. Don't, don't waste time. Don't put it off. Now is the time of salvation. Jesus loves you. Jesus died on the cross for you. He wants to forgive your sins. And Jesus is coming again, and our world is racing toward judgment. It's racing toward judgment, and we need Christ. We need Christ. We need to put off all the things in this world that are a distraction and, and be followers of Christ, because in Him is hope and eternal life. Thanks for joining us today. I really do appreciate you taking the time to, to pause, to listen. And may I encourage you to be people of prayer. To take time, maybe after you turn off this, uh, this video, and just spend some time with the Lord. 
Say, Lord, cleanse me. Renew me. Renew my heart. Help me to yearn for more of you. And I'd love to hear stories of what the Lord is doing in your life. You can contact us at clcwinnipeg.ca. And uh, if you have anything else you'd like to share with us, uh, get in touch with us. You can also give that way as well. But that's not our big priority here. We just want you to experience more of Jesus, to experience revival and renewal. God bless you. And uh, thanks for joining us today, God. We hope that you'll be with us, God willing, next week.